<laughs> go on. <laughs> you go. Hello and welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about net zero and we're now going to talk about what could potentially be the next big carbon sucker. According to this article that I picked up. So I actually came across um, information about hemp when I was looking at uh, the subject of net zero for a few weeks ago. And particularly an article in Euronews.com. And the title is, the UK countryside is ablaze with hemp farms, but how do they help the climate? First question. Yeah. Would you know a hemp farm if you saw one? We're not talking about illegal cannabis growing in the roof of houses that are being heated and migrants are being exploited. We're not talking about that. No. We're talking about a hemp farm. What's... I think if I look close up to the leaves, I guess, because I sort of know, I think I know what a cannabis leaf looks like but if i saw one from a distance and it like it was a field of hemp no i'm not sure i would Mm. i'd just assume it was corn or or something or rape without the flowers yeah (laughs) i really don't know the fact that the country is ablaze with them yeah it's a bit of a pun there ablaze oh yeah i I did wonder why we're using the blaze thing and it's oh of course then light it up yeah Yeah. no ha ha very funny so Apparently, um, it was a real common sight, these fields of hemp um, in the 19th century and way before then. Um, And then sort of the UK took against hemp. And in 1928, there was the Dangerous Drugs Act and hemp got lumped in with marijuana. And so um, because there was a psychoactive compound found in the plant, then it got banned in the UK. Uh, they got um, changed a little bit recently, um, and it, the ban's been re- replaced with strict legislation. Uh, regulation surrounded it, and I think it's largely around this psychoactive substance that's in it, which is what makes it a recreational drug. Um, and you have to have government licences, which I think you've done a bit of research mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on. But actually... I, I was amazed at the research that I've, I've done, is, is how beneficial hemp is as a product and also how common it was um, before 1928. Henry VIII, I believe, made it compulsory for people to grow hemp. It was so important. But presumably that wasn't to do with its mind-altering capabilities. No, that, that was to do with one of its many other uses, <laughs> which was rope. So they, they needed yeah. the rope for um, maritime um, and, and for sailing and, and yeah. for the rigging and all of that. Um, but it's got awful, a lot of other things like milk and seed powders. Um, it, you can make paper from it. You can make fabric, rope, and you can even make concrete from it. You know, there's a, a, the list of hempcrete, sorry, not concrete, hempcrete, hempcrete. a building product. But yeah, I, I, I'm really thinking now I should have a hemp farm. Yeah, okay. So that I don't think it's quite as straightforward as that. Can, can I not just start one in my garden? I don't know. I, I don't think you can. And there are all sorts of rules around how much you can grow um, and, and where you can grow it and all, all, all sorts of different things. So um, you have to have... 
an industrial hemp license. Yes. Okay. But this is for growers who want to grow seed, grow it for seed and fibre. So not those people not who... Not the flowers. Not the flowers and not the um, not cannabis the oil. Or the leaves. Or the leaves, yes. So a lot of people are using cannabis oil now um, and there's a lot of companies selling it in the UK, but that actually can't be grown in the UK, I found. Any CBD oil, which seems to be having a, a bit of a boom in the wellness market, that doesn't can't come from a UK-made product because um, it's extracted from the flowers and, and you can't do anything with the flowers in the UK. You literally have to burn uh, or compost the flowers and the leaves from hemp. So if you grow hemp in the UK, <laughs> it naturally comes with flowers and leaves, but the farmers have to destroy it. That's part of the licence. So they set fire to it and everybody stands around. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's dear. Good, that's a good time. <laughs> yeah, oh, maybe find out when your local <laughs> hemp farm is having its burning session. Yeah, so if you, if you mm. want CBD, then it's actually been imported into the UK because... The farmers in the UK are only allowed to harvest and process stems and seeds and must degrade or burn the flowers and the leaves. That's put a, a whole raft of ideas oh, in my mind. Yes. That has. Yeah, I think the other thing, and of course I imagine this is, well, obviously it's to do with the growing year, but if you want to grow hemp in 2022... You have to, it, applications need to be made after the 3rd of January. Okay. Right, in 2022. Um, and if you if you apply before that, they will be rejected as premature. So you can't apply until the 3rd of January. Um, and then the last date, if you are a new grower, is the 28th of February. Um, if you're approved then you can apply for your license um and then the 1st of april is the last date for um people to submit their license application so i think you need to apply in order to then be given permission to apply if that makes sense wow okay so it's it i mean it's it's clearly really heavily regulated because of psychoactive yes because of, of the whole yeah. the whole other thing you also need to have dbs checks uh for every person that's named on the license and this is the interesting thing the application must be limited to outdoor cultivation only now i think that's really important as well i was reading about the benefits to the environment and it only comes from outdoor cultivation because if you're doing it indoors, then you've got artificial light and artificial heat and all of the benefits yeah. um, are, are wasted. But if um, if you're cultivating hemp in the right conditions, yeah. then it absorbs more CO2 than it takes to actually grow it. And it, um, I think I read on the, yeah, just looking at the Euronews article, it says it sequesters, that's a good word, isn't it? sequesters 9 to 15 tonnes of CO2 per hectare, which is almost twice as much as a forest of the same size. So when we're talking about net zero, yeah. actually, instead of planting a tree, maybe you need to plant some, be hemp. Plant some hemp, hemp with under licence. Under licence, yes. Yeah. One of the other things is once you have been granted the licence, 
um, then they um, reserve the right. So they reserve the right to, to come and audit you, you know, and check what's happening. But if you, um, if any hemp is stolen. Okay. Or um, lost in some way. In inverted commas. Yes. Lost. Um, you have to report the theft on a, on a theft thefts and losses form um so and and again and if you no longer need your license then you have to you can't just Surrender stop doing it, it. You, yeah. yeah you have to close that and say right th so hemp is not being grown here anymore and prove that you've got rid of the plants and prove that you've got rid of the plants okay. yeah wow okay yeah so it made me think about um looking at the sustainability what sort of person might um might grow hemp and obviously if you want to make products but I also went on to read that um, hemp is really good um, as a regenerative crop so if if you've tired out your soil uh, which we tend to do with intensive farming yeah, these days yeah. don't we so um, we used to do crop rotation I learned about that at school when I, when I was very little and you know you, you're rotating all your crops and then you have some legumes to put the nitrogen back in and all yeah. that sort of stuff well fallow leave it fallow yeah, for a year and we all, don't yeah. do that now with intensive farming do we but I was reading that um, hemp regenerates the soil and cleans it of heavy metals and toxins that have been left behind from other crops so if you're a farmer and, and you're growing these crops, mm -hmm. it might be that it would be a good idea for those farmers to be incentivized to grow hemp uh, so, in between some of their crops. Yeah, that okay. So maybe that also then would feed into why the application process is so closely monitored. You know, can't you just go, I'm going to be a hemp farmer, and you yeah. just crack on for 10 years, because it may be... That, you know you you might only do it for a year if yeah if there's nutritional benefits for the for the soil the other thing that um is that it uses less water less pesticides fertilizers and, and herbicides so it's a more organically grown yeah product um which again it, it is 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 hugely valid um but it says hemp farming has around 25,000 known uses. This is uh, on farmbusinessshow.co.uk, which is talking about um, all sorts of Oh, I haven't got that many. I've, I've got about nine, I think, on my list here. But, well, they don't list all 25,000 known uses. Oh, so I've got a few here. So there's a superfood. Uh, it's packed full of protein, vitamins, omegas and nutrients. Is that the seeds then? Um, hemp. I'm not sure. It just says on here hemp. Okay. In general. Okay. Skin care, um, right. full of antioxidants, fatty acids, vitamins, anti-inflammatories, hormone balancing properties. There's a textile in construction with the hempcrete. Yeah. Uh, paper. Uh, green energy. You can use it as biomass fuel. Okay. Um, a medicine, a CBD oil we've already yeah. talked about. And bioplastic, hemp plastics. An alternative to petroleum plastics. Okay. So they were just a, a few ideas. Um, that's from a website called um, the National Hemp Service, uh, and they do sell CBD products as well. But it, it's been used for many hundreds of years um, for paper, textiles, rope, medicine oil, and much more. And 
Oh, yeah, I've just read here, 25,000 end products. I got that from a different website, so I think we can verify that. Mine came from the Eden Project website. Okay, okay. Now, that is really worth taking a look at if you want to um, know about hemp. They've got a lovely video on YouTube, very trusted Eden Project. You know, they're yes. not selling the hemp. No. They don't seem to have an axe to grind. Um, but they they talk in very positive terms about hemp. They've got a little patch of hemp at the Eden Project, but it has to be all fenced off. But um, okay. if you go and have a look at the EdenProject.com, and they've got a section on hemp, and then there is also in there an embedded YouTube video with, with one of their um, gardeners talking about hemp. And that's where I learned about Henry VIII making hemp cultivation obligatory. It was very important for shipping in those days. Well, and I think the resurgence thing, because um, on Savills, the, the land agent's website, um, they've, they've produced a report about growing hemp, um, and they've they've actually got a chart that shows how much hemp has been grown in tons since two thousand and eight. And we start off with the UK um, having literally um, the width of a you know the width of a nail um, in terms of growth. And then in twenty seventeen, so so it's I don't know it's it's less than it's about five tons. Oh. And now we're up to um, 240 tons is this in the uk in the uk yes yeah um and and the only the only other country that that, that gives us a run for our money is canada um interestingly countries like israel and other countries where we consider that you know there's quite a lot of cannabis grown this is for medicinal purposes this isn't for recreational, recreational purposes okay. But again, you know, it's this massive growth in this country. Um, and the, we're actually the largest producer of legal medicinal cannabis in the world. Okay, but then I did you look at Luxembourg and potential for Italy? So no. this is talking about producing and, and manufacturing these things. Yes. Actually, Luxembourg have relaxed their drug policy and announced that adults will be able to grow up to four cannabis plants per household. For personal for use? For personal use, yeah. And Italy is apparently on the verge of a similar move and they're going to have a, um, a referendum on it. So, you know, there's one thing to be increasing hemp as a crop and another um, for it to be four, four plants right. in the household. Right. Okay. They, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, Savills go into lots from the commercial point of view. I mean, I think that's really interesting from a domestic point of view, and even you know the CBD oil and stuff like that. People, you can buy that on the internet. You know, people can make a decision to to access that, mm. um, almost as a sort of homeopathic um, herbal remedy. Well, obviously, it is a herbal remedy, but it's, yeah. you know, but um, not. Not in the traditional, you know, nettle soup or a bit of geranium or whatever it might be. <laughs> um, but they talk very much about the commercial um, potential. Oh, I can, I'm reading over your shoulder now. Three things to know before growing cannabis. Yes. Oh, go on then. So um, uh, that there are two. So they say two distinct crops. And we've talked about this. You know, there's the there's hemp 
and there's cannabis, you know, mm -hmm. what's the purpose? So you need to make sure that um, you know which one you're doing. Um, you need to it's it's you need to invest in some expertise. You can't just go, oh, how difficult can this be and stick some plants up? And also thinking about the costs. And they've got um, they've got three sort of donut charts that show if you're growing um, cannabis hemp outdoor, then as you might expect, the biggest cost is labour. Okay. Because there's the um, well, obviously you know we we've talked about the flowers not being allowed. You know, so yeah. so you you're going to be constantly revisiting that crop to make sure that you're compliant. I imagine if you're growing it in a greenhouse. The split is between labour and utilities because you need to heat yeah. uh, the greenhouse. And then if you're growing it indoors... Which is how most illegal cannabis is grown. Yes, yes. yeah. Then um, m even more utilities um, and um, slightly less labour. But the actual manufacturing element um, and the, the nutrients, if you're growing it outdoor, you hardly need to add any nutrients... Um, if you're growing it in a greenhouse, you add some. If you're growing it indoor, you add some. Um, the cost of the seeds is a bigger um, cost outdoor than it is. And that's got to be to do with scale. Because you can have really big greenhouses, but you can have blooming huge fields, can't you? Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's something that I didn't... Until you pointed out that article, I didn't even consider that from the farming point of view this is something that that you can do i just assumed if you were growing it you'd you be arrested be. <laughs> yes. yeah and given that it's a it's a plant that has had many many uses over hundreds of years mm. for for the attitude of societies who have changed so drastically in a hundred years just yeah. one of those hundred years yeah that that's it's quite something isn't it and yet the potential benefits, you go on to read, you know, the potential benefits of all of these and, you know, in, in terms of the growing cycle, you know, how quick it is to grow hemp compared to growing a tree to make paper, yeah, yeah. all of that. And it's like, why, why? Well, you know, I, I think it's a, an amazing area for growth and something I think if I was looking to invest, I might consider investing in hemp farming. Well, from an environmental point of view, particularly with the fabric, because bamboo you know there's a lot a lot of bamboo fabric yeah. now and I, I'm a big fan of the bamboo sock which I may have mentioned in the past. may have mentioned yeah um but but so we're m much more environmentally aware so I imagine that hemp clothing yeah it's will... sustainable yeah okay. it lasts longer than cotton it retains color better um it is cheaper and harms the environment less than cotton it's soft and breathable on the skin and naturally resistant to bacteria and is super durable that's what i've read from the national hemp service website so it's it's like a, a wonder product really that, yeah it sounds like it is but i don't know to me it sounds like it's going to be a bit itchy um, and apparently it's very soft. Well, you might think that about bamboo. You think oh, yeah, of bamboo but... sticks, don't you? Now know. you know better, don't you? Yeah, but it's, surely it's made out of that soft, fluffy stuff that's inside the bamboo sticks. That must be what the bamboo... Well, it's fibre. It's all fibre. Is it, all fiber, the actual, is it yeah. not that, that fluffy stuff that's inside the bamboo cane? 
I really don't know. I've never really made any bamboo um, textiles. Well, maybe that's something for a future. Something um... to look look into. I did have a quick look at another trusted source, and this was Forbes.com. Okay. They've got a health section, so I was looking at CBD oil. Yeah. And they've got a list of nine science-backed benefits of CBD oil. Okay. So this is the thing that's made from the flowers. Yeah. That you can't do in the UK, in country, but you have yes. to import. So... They've got um, they've got more detail than this. I've just got the list, but they've got links to all of the scientific research that's been done in these areas. Okay. So if you want to go and have a look, it's Forbes.com, and just do a search for CBD oil benefits. Um, so it can offset anxiety and depression, um, treat select epilepsy syndromes, reduce PTSD symptoms. Treat opioid addiction, alleviate ALS symptoms, relieve unmanageable pain, ease diabetic complications, protect against neurological disease and inhibit arthritis symptoms. Now, I hasten to add that's not us promoting this as a product and saying it can do all these things. I'm rather pointing you towards scientific based research on the Forbes website so that you can research that yourself. Um, but there's a wide range of benefits and the the wellness area is really looking into this at the moment. Um, and I'm fairly sure that Big Pharma's not that keen on it, given that yeah. wide uh, range of benefits, um, you know, for a, a wide range of symptoms. And I'd, I'd say, you know, it truly is a wonder product if mm. that turns out to be the case. Interesting stuff. So, have you got some money to invest in a hemp farm, Heather? Well, well, I might have a little look. I might have a little look. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think from a diversification point of view, as a farmer, it's, it's got to be worth looking at. Um, and if you're not entirely sure, then you can find out an awful lot of information at the Farm Business Innovation Show, which is in November next year at the okay. NEC in Birmingham. We Why could not? even go. We could, can we? The Farm Business Innovation Show. Who knew when we started this podcast that we'd be seeking out tickets to that event? <laughs> okay, so <coughs> I'm going to show you my work, Heather. This is the prep I've done for the next section of the podcast. Um, we're reviewing a book called Show Your Work, and my work here is a big blank page. It's not done. Yeah. So I picked this one out, not knowing that you had the book. Yeah. I saw that it was available on Kindle Unlimited, Left it a week before going to get the actual book from Kindle and it wasn't available. So I've merely had a one chapter sample. Um, and what I determined from that is that I much rather, would much rather have a little book in my sweaty little mitts. Well, actually, it's unusual because often you're quite happy with the Kindle, aren't you? Yeah, often. And I'm the one who says, oh, no, I yeah. need the book. But I think with this particular book, it is... It's, it's very tactile. It's written by a guy called Austin Cleon. I hope that's how you say it. K-L-E-O-N. And he is an artist. Uh, and I actually had this book because I was coaching a young man who um, is an it's artist. An artist yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I thought, you know, it was an, an interesting... There you go. So you... Have you got it on the Kindle now? I've got only the sample on the oh, Kindle. Oh, the sample. Yeah. Okay. I'm just comparing mine with, with your book. So. Yes, yours is just on a screen, whereas mine is actually a square, tactile, lovely, soft Chunky book. book. Yes, yeah. <coughs> and it's got, well, 
it's basically about if you are an artist, if you make stuff, and goodness me, so many people now are crafters. Yeah, I don't think you have to be like the traditional sense, the artist, as in with paintbrushes or, no. or pencils. No. Creative. A if crea you're a creative. Yeah. And how do you monetize that? How you know? How do you exhibit it? How do you share your stuff on social media? Um, how do you engage with people? How do you build a following? All of those types of things. Um, and the book goes into it's a good, good, um, um, high, high level information. But you know, it gets you thinking. So, yeah. it, so, it, so just thinking about the the content so it talks about um you know think process not product so that's where okay you might make something but actually if you talk about how you make it that's more much more interesting yeah the creative process people yeah. are interested in that but people do like to see artists at work in their workshops so uh, crafters or artists or people doing things making yeah. things that you know there's quite quite a lot of interest well, you even see it on things like um, the Great Pottery Throwdown and they've got the new one for woodworking, haven't yeah, they? And yeah. People actually are intrigued and watching people making these things. Well, I think I think we admire, particularly if we don't have, because I know you're very creative, you, you make stuff. You, you, I'm not like that at all. I'm not, I, I can think quite creatively, but I can't actually, I don't have the attention to detail or the dexterity to make stuff, but you do. So if I see that you've made something, I'm like, oh my goodness, you've actually made that because it's a million miles away from something that I could do. And I think also, if people buy something, say I bought a gift for you and I said, I watched the guy, I saw the guy who made that. You know, it's got yeah. an added dimension to it. You know, if, you, if you buy something and it says, you know, I don't know, hand carved in North Wales... It, it's got yeah. some uh, what's the word Pro provenance provenance you that, know yeah. it, it just it's added value rather than i just bought a, a wooden bowl oh. yeah in the range in the yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so i think that um they're talking about you know all of that but they're ex the book goes around more about um how do you do it um share your knowledge because if you share you know things about how you do stuff that doesn't mean that everybody's going to go around and start doing it no it's a, it's a bit like you, you say i like to make things i'm i'm a bit of a um a hobbyist that goes around learning lots of little things but never really getting into a lot of um skill so okay. i've made a hat i've made a notebook i've made pottery i've done felting i've built walls i've you know there's so many things yeah. i've just had to go at all of these things i've never really gone into depth so those um skilled people that showed me how to do those things weren't actually at risk of me going no. and doing it instead <laughs> so yeah it, and it made me perhaps when I'd seen how hard it was to do that thing it made me appreciate it more and actually want to buy one of the products that they, they've made the skilled crafter made yeah 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 uh, it also talks about you know thinking about teaching people teach you know teach what you know um Tell good stories. You know, be selective. Don't don't bombard people with information. You know, be measured, um, particularly with um, social media and you know YouTube platforms. And you know, there's so many ways. Well, that also fits in with what we talked about Skillshare a few weeks ago, isn't it? It's like don't throw everything you know all into one blur. No, 
little bite-sized chunks yeah. have far more impact. Yeah. I guess the same yeah. is true here. Yeah, they say share something small every day. But but what I so what did you you've got the first chapter, didn't you? So you tell yeah. me what you thought about the first chapter. Um, I really liked it. Um, the the bit where it says you don't have to be a genius, I think that's really encouraging. Yeah. Uh, I think the the sometimes you you can get caught up on wanting to be perfect. Yes. You want to be the perfectionist, and actually sometimes it's more about the journey, as you say, more about the process, and it, it's sometimes the imperfections are the beauty on these things as well, aren't they? But um, one of the things that stuck in my mind, first of all. I don't know what that picture is, but that does not translate from the book to Kindle. Uh, it so yeah, so that's he, way too small for me to see. Yeah, he's basically that he, he has a lot of sort of grids that have got um, some a few words in it. Is this in? Oh, right. It looks like a shreddy. Yeah, it looks it's a, like a black shreddy, and it's got a few words on it. Is that another one? I'm trying to find which one. Oh, it's just at the end, just before you don't have to be a genius. It's just oh, before oh, here, yeah, yeah, sorry. Just there, that page. Okay, so it says crafting something is a long, uncertain process. A maker should show her work. Oh, that's another thing I like about the book. Uh, it refers to um, the uh, the person as a she. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why you just notice. I notice it when it's done. Um, so, oh, actually, yeah, I could zoom into that, but I just didn't. I just skipped over that little black shreddy. But, yes, what I also liked was uh, talking about the lone genius and actually that, you know, it's not a good idea to be a lone genius. Find your seniors. Yes. That's a great word. Yeah. So where, where you're part of a scene, and, and this chapter talks about how a lot of the people we think of as greats in their field were actually part of a big scene that was happening at the time. They stand out from it, but they yeah. wouldn't have been where they were without being part of that bigger scene. Yeah. And I thought that was really good. And like you say, it didn't go into loads of depth and research and this, that and the other, but it made you think, and it's like, for me, it was like, oh, yeah, that mm. that's true, that, that feels yeah. right. And uh, the beauty, I think, is that a lot of the stuff in this book it applies to any business any any business startup any anything that you want to achieve because um it it's not only about art I've... it's about attitude isn't yes. it yeah but, well the the next one that i read along as well as like you don't have to be a genius yeah which is true if you're yeah. starting a business you i mean you don't have to get it right and you do need to you know have a crowd around you but be an amateur yeah <laughs> it says that we're all terrified of being revealed as amateurs and that's sometimes the thing we, we talk when we talk about uh, imposter syndrome and actually if you if you think about what an amateur is it's an enthusiast that pursues her work i just noticed yeah. now i hadn't noticed yeah. the pronouns yeah. um in the spirit of love it's like okay yeah take that it takes the pressure off having to get it right if you see yourself as the professional at that then you've mm. got that expectation whereas if you're an have this attitude that an amateur you're allowed to fail a little bit as an amateur well and i also think if you believe your, yourself to be an amateur um then that suggests that you will continue learning yeah and you will look for more you don't assume that you're the best in, yeah in show well, yeah, yeah exactly and i think that um one one thing that caught my eye and it sounds a little bit grim um one of the recommendations is to read obituaries 
Okay. All right, and you think, oh, okay. Yeah, my sample didn't take me that far. Right, okay. But actually, if you think about it, um, when you read um, obituaries, you will be inspired by people who have gone before you, who have, you know, who have done all sorts of things. You know, life's complicated, life's hard work, um, but people achieve great things, and sometimes we need reminding that yeah. it, you know, it you can achieve great things in all sorts of things. And I think one thing you you will get from an obituary. And I'm trying to think about the ones that I've read now, is that people don't achieve those things in a straight line. No. Most people's achievements have come in a bit of a zigzaggy yeah. sort of path to get there. Yeah. And it's worth reminding yourself of that. They didn't just go straight to being a success. No. no. And that's and that and that's actually, you know, if you're reading the obituaries in the Times or whatever, they're not always going to be famous people, not even always going to be people that you've heard of. But their stories will be interesting, you know, and suddenly you'll go, oh, here's a bloke here who used to do whatever, um, you know, served in this place and, you know, set this up or whatever it might be. So I think that's quite interesting. And there are just so many little nuggets. I mean, even, you know, some of the visuals. So talking about um, just reminding ourselves that, you know, um, if you share something small every day, okay, that's one thing. But if you do something small every day, then we've got a lovely illustration. It's a black page. It's And in white writing, it says one day and there's an X. And then next to it, it says one month and there's 30 Xs. And then over the page, it says one year and there's 365 Xs. And yeah. when you think about that... The oh, scale actually, is massive. Yeah, yeah, start today, whatever it might be. And do be. 365 whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah, so there's loads of numbers. I love it. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant book. Um, it's it. It's relevant regardless of what it is that you do. Um, and uh, can I just ask, when you read this, did you not have any post-it notes to hand? No, I didn't. So I've had to fold the pages. There's all sorts of I know. page folds. I know. Um, yes. So um, just a comment um, from Russell. Russell Brand that I quite liked. One day at a time, it sounds so simple. It actually is simple, but it isn't easy. It requires incredible support and fastidious structuring. And I think that just reminds us that things don't happen by accident, but a little and often moves you in the right direction and allows you the ability, as you've just said, to flex and yeah. you know and go with the flow so that you end up where you're meant to end up rather than perhaps where you thought you were going to. So... That's a lovely little book. Can I you hold have a this? feel? Yeah. Have a, have oh, that, a feel. yeah, that is nice and tactile, isn't it? These flappy bits. I like that when you when you've got the extended flaps on yes. the covers, so yep. you can use them as a bookmark. Yeah. Um, the the guy that wrote this is also the author of Steel Like an Artist. Have you got that book? Have no, I haven't. No, no. Um, it presents ten transformative principles for unlocking the artist in all of us. You don't have to be a genius. You just need to be yourself. Nothing is original, so embrace, influence, remix and reimagine to discover your own path. That sounds like a good book to read as well, I must say. And I, I think just, if it's written in the same vein... Yeah, well, it looks then, like it's the same shape. It's yeah. a little square book. Yeah. Um, there's a little picture of it in the back of this book, that's how I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's available wherever books are sold, it says. And look who endorses it on oh, the back. Endorsed oh, by right. Daniel Pink. Excellent. Reckons that Austin Kleon is one of the brightest new minds on the creative landscape. 
Excellent stuff. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. I think uh, I would definitely recommend getting the hardback, though. And I know I'm often on the fence and sometimes, you know, we'll say, oh, it's easier to read on the Kindle. But this one, I think this is one where you just, if you're after a bit of inspiration, this one's got all the feels. It's a nice stocking filler, isn't it, for somebody? I oh, think. that's good idea. Yeah. If you've got a big stocking. Well, you only put one thing in it. <laughs> and maybe Satsuma. <laughs> Okay, so that's our book, Show Your Work by Austin Cleon. But who are we profiling this week? Tracy? So this gentleman is John Steele. I have to um, declare an interest in talking about this gentleman because he's the CEO of a company in which I own shares. <gasps> are you a major stakeholder? If we... No, I'm really not major. <laughs> I'm incredibly minor shareholder in Cafe Direct. And John Steele has been a shareholder of Cafe Direct um, for around about nine and a half years, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. And really interesting chap. Um, struggled at first to find out much about him, bar from all the stories seemed to push towards, this is John Steele, this is Cafe Direct. It's mm. always John Steele, Cafe Direct. Um, and I, I, st I understood why when I listened to a podcast um, I sent you the link. Yes. I don't suppose you got a chance to listen. I did. Uh, I actually listened to it. Well, I listened to most of it. I did drift in because I was listening to it when I was trying to go to sleep. All right. But, okay. But, yeah. But it was fatal. Uh, that. No, it was good. It was good. What was it about the podcast that uh, the interview in the podcast that made me think that that now I understand. So the the podcast is called the Leader Insight series, and this was episode nineteen with John Steele, and. Um, he likes to talk about Cafe Direct and not himself. Mm. And he he would steer the conversation um, back to Cafe Direct. And admittedly, when, when the interviewer, who's very good, was asking him questions about him and his motivation and his background, he, he would always say, well, that's, that's a... That's a difficult question. He was yes. showing and being honest. It was slightly more uncomfortable talking about that than talking about... Cafe Direct. Yes. So that perhaps explains why when you do a bit of a, a search on the internet for him, that it all just comes back to Cafe Direct. Yeah. And fair enough, because Cafe Direct is a brilliant story. It's an amazing um, company. And I, I have to admit, even though I've been a shareholder for many, many years, I, I invested quite early on when they set up and when they, I think it was when they, um, we're, we're just expanding um, a few years into having been set up and they, they did a, a big um, share sale and it was particularly to um, help with the funding for marketing. I remember buying in at that time um, and I completely lost my trade of thought. <laughs> what okay. was I going to say? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, even though I'm a shareholder, <clears throat> until I'd looked into John Steele, <clears throat> excuse me, and heard him talk about Cafe Direct... I didn't quite know how much of a purpose-driven company it was. And the fact that everything's about purpose now. We've talked about purpose and value-driven businesses so much. And yet, actually, um, this company was formed purely for a particular purpose of supporting a group of coffee farmers. Yeah. 
it wasn't reverse engineered in and that's one of the things I referred to in the podcast is that it's it's now a lot of companies are going oh purpose is important what shall we now say our purpose is yeah and the authenticity that from cafe directors it was built on purpose yeah absolutely really really good yeah and and one of the reasons that we we came to be um researching him and profiling him is because of the relationship with divine chocolates yeah which again they're engaging with cocoa growers yeah um and so and i think we were commenting that he actually interviewed the lady's name whose name escapes me now um from sophie tranchell there we go yeah. yes so that's kind of how we because the two of them with the whole um fair trade element mm-hmm. of things worked very very closely together the two yeah. were almost and the new kid on the block b corp yes yeah yeah so um so yes you're absolutely right he talks about the business um and he does divert attention from himself i think if you try and it, it basically just tells you that's who he is that he's the chief exec of yeah cafe direct so um bit like um somebody that we profiled once before uh, or tried to profile once before we basically couldn't find anything about them and yet they're one of the most senior people in the whole country uh, i think that's a different agenda though <laughs> probably had probably had the internet cleansed, cleansed. there yeah. yeah but what i was really intrigued and i'm glad i listened to the podcast to get a feel for the man because i was a bit confused at first so if you look on linkedin it is history he started off um, working for Nestle. So back in the late 80s, he was a fast-track graduate trainee for Nestle. Um, you know, and then he went on to work for Weetabix mm-hmm. and Premier Brands. So he's worked for some real big companies, Marston's, yeah. Mid-Size Premier Fruit Foods, uh, Northern Foods, Cornish Sea Salt. So we're going a bit smaller scale. Um and Burton's Foods, and, and I'm thinking, how do you go from... Oh, you're opposite ends of the scale, aren't you? And, and this is my interpretation of Nestle, and it might be unfair, but your Nestle's and your Cafe Direct are at totally opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. But I think that you think about the knowledge that... So he's clearly worked in FMCG right throughout yeah. um, at various levels... So he will have absorbed and learned so much from the big boys yeah. that then applying it to a model that... Is based on purpose. Yes. Yeah. So he, he's, he's amassed all of that knowledge and experience. And I think, hearing him speak in that podcast, he is, he is motivated by the purpose. He's been part of the corporate machine, that big you know um, hamster wheel. And actually, he's kind of gone. I mean, I'm just surmising. Yeah. You know, he's That's gone. what I picked up from the podcast as yeah. well, though. I, I, I thought that it, it, he'd used all of that. And, and he says later on in the podcast, um, this might have been when he drifted off to sleep. I'm not sure. I did wake up again then. So all right. Okay. Of, anyway. But. <laughs> and, he, and he was saying that sometimes, you know, you have to go through a number of things until you find your, your, thing. Own, your yeah. own thing. Yeah. And... and um, so presumably he's he's been on this journey and then he's found something and gone, oh, yeah, that's really important. The The interviewer did ask him about, um, you know, he's been in the food industry and he had left the food industry and then came back. And I seem to recall him saying that his mum was um, into nutrition 
and 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 health and, and yeah. food. I said that that's always sort of been in his life. Yeah. And he said actually when he he only knew when he left the food industry that that was the industry he, he really, belonged in. Yeah. Yes. He felt yeah. right in. It felt like the right industry for yeah. him to be in. And and I'm so glad I did listen to that podcast because I, I felt like I'd heard about the man rather than just the CEO of Cafe Direct. Yeah, you did. Yes. It, I mean, he's clearly quite rightly very proud of what um what what he's what he's achieved and what the the business has achieved and what it does and what it stands for etc. Um there's a quote in um I found some stuff on hitachicapital.co.uk. Oh, we found the same article. Oh, That's did you good, find yeah. that? What's been your proudest moment to date and what's your big, biggest yeah. challenge to date? Go on then. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the, the thing I was going to pick up on is there's a quote where he says, do what you believe in and translate that into a really powerful proposition that really delivers and delights consumers. And I think what you've just been saying is that, you know, you need to go on a bit of a, I use the word journey, but you know, in order to, to yeah. determine what is, what do you believe in? Nobody, nobody knows to start with. Um, and then the one thing that I, um, what one piece of advice would you give to anyone starting out in this space today? And he says, there's probably two or three things that you need to think about. Um, what do you believe in? And what's the proposition? What's the proposition? But also don't spend too much time agonising over that. <laughs> you need to get out, you, know, you need to make a start because you could. So he's saying, get the proposition right and go out there. You can tweak it. But you've got to believe and be confident that what you're going out with is something that the marketplace needs. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, well, it goes a little bit back to what we were talking about with the Show Your Workbook. It doesn't have to be perfect because inevitably, once you put something out there, people will have an opinion on it and you can flex or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was that was really interesting. What did you take from that um, that interview? Um, from from the Hitachi article, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I I I think the fact this was the first one I found where I thought, oh, I'm I'm actually hearing the person yeah. speak here rather than the representative yeah. of um, of Cafe Direct. I think his proudest moment to date, um, it and it, he says that working for Cafe Direct that's got a very clear mission means that there's loads of moments to be proud of, and I think actually that sort of answers the question as to. You've gone from Nestle to Cafe Direct. It's like, yeah, for for a purpose-driven, values-driven, mission-driven business, yeah. then, yeah, everything that you do that's having a positive impact, that's a really proud moment. That yeah. Is. Um, and he says that um, his proudest moment was seeing the way everybody reacted to a period of crisis uh, in 2016 and how they all came together to help the business flourish. It's actually quite a small company, isn't it? And what I picked up on from the podcast to listen to was that he makes an effort to, particularly during lockdown, to speak to every employee. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, even when they've been uh, working at home, because they've adapted now so that they can all work from yeah. home, um, that, and he's found that his four-hour commute, he really has to think hard before he does travel now. Yeah, and I, well, I think a lot of people have, you know, do I, do do I, I really, really need to yeah. be there? And sometimes you do. Sometimes yes. there's no substitute for being there in person. But the CEO is ringing up every single employee. Not every day. That yeah, would be too so he's much. He's checked in with them. He's checked yeah. in with every single one. I think that says a lot about him as well. Yeah, I, I, it, it does. And I think the over 
the over overwhelming sense that I get is that he has found his place. Mm. He's kind of not come home, but he it I think if you if you cut him in half it would say cafe direct right the way through him. But I don't think he's that I may be wrong, he may be writing his resignation as we speak. <laughs> but um but it feels oh, like he be belongs. Blow, wouldn't it? Just would as be... the, the podcast airs uh, yeah. uh, John Steele resigns. No, let's not We'd be very topical, though, wouldn't we? <laughs> wouldn't we? Having said he's, he's um, cafe direct through and through. through, through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, I'm glad we looked into him. Also, you know, like I said before, to actually dig a bit deeper into what cafe direct is. And if you've got some spare time, the, the story is, is all there um, for you to see Um all over the internet, you know, if you um, have a look for Cafe Direct and look at their history, it's a true, authentic, mission-driven, purpose-driven business. And if you're thinking of reverse engineering purpose into your business, then take a look at a business that did it from a start right just to around. get an idea as to what you really got to aim for. Because I think if you you can tell the companies that have written a mission, a purpose, sorry, um, because they know they need a purpose. Yeah. It doesn't have any heart. And you can imagine that most of the employees couldn't even tell you what that yeah. purpose was. But I, I imagine that every single um, employee, every single supplier and every single customer of Cafe Direct know what the purpose of that business is. And I like John Steele. I'd quite like to meet him for a cup of coffee. Cafe Direct coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.